Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Our decorations early this year, and I'm just not feeling the Christmas spirit yet. I don't know what that, like, in some ways I guess the Christmas spirit is just supposed to hit you. You can't really manufacture it, but i got to be honest, it hasn't hit me this year. There is actually a, a house that decorates on the way, on the way home, uh, one of the main roads we, we, we uh, travel to get home. There's a house that decorates their fence line. They have one of those fence lines that faces like a main road. And so they write things in lights on their uh, fence line each year. Last year they wrote like peace and Merry Christmas. This year they wrote peace and bah humbug, comma, COVID. And so I think that is kind of like how I feel right now in some ways. And I tell you that this morning because I think it's even more important. I think what what this has done for me is it's focused my attention even more on the Advent season. Because as much as I'm trying to manufacture this spirit of Christmas or whatever that feels like, Advent has been so valuable already to me this year and this season because it's focused me on the fact that there is something significant that we celebrate this season. And it has to do with this focus of Advent and what Christmas really means and what we actually celebrate. And then we are in our Advent series here at North Bible Church, and we are in the second week of our Advent series. If you've been with us, you know that this series is called Remember. And I think one of the most appropriate things that we can do during this, seri- or during this season, actually, is to remember. As Christians, we believe that the Bible tells us this overarching story, the true story of everything that has come into existence, where we've been, who we are, and where we're going. That it informs every aspect of what we know of creation, of what we know of ourselves as human beings, of what we know of who God is. And two of the biggest events in that story are the Advent events. And I say two of them because Advent, of course, refers to the coming or the arrival of God. They mark the times when God comes to us. During this time, we celebrate the first Advent of Jesus. We look back and remember the first Advent of Jesus when he came to us as the Christ child. But at Advent, we also look forward to the second Advent, the return, the second coming of Jesus. And I think one of the things that makes this time so powerful in terms of remembering is that as we remember the faithfulness of God, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, we remember the fact that God remembers his promises. We look forward to the promise of the second coming with even more hope as we remember what God has already done. When we look at the faithfulness of God and the promises that are accomplished during the first Advent when Jesus arrives, It gives us even more hope and gives us an assured hope that the second coming will arrive as well. And so we look forward to that second Advent. And this is part of what, a big part of what the celebration of Advent is. And, you know, the major themes of Advent are some of the most important themes, I think, in human, in the human experience. I mean, think about it. We explore themes like faith, hope, peace, joy, and love. Big time themes. And as Adam said last week, as we started in faith, he talked about faith and said there are all kinds of different ways to understand faith, depending on your context, who you are, your background, your experience. You may use faith in a bunch of different ways. We see that in our world. Really, all of these words, I mean, think about it, hope, joy, peace, love, all of them are words that are used all the time in all kinds of different contexts. I mean, think about how many ways the word love is used, for example. Like, I love those genes, but then I also love my wife at the same time, right? I mean, there are different ways of using the exact same word, but at the same time, they communicate a whole wide variety of things. And I think one of the reasons why those words are used in so many ways is because we believe that those words are important. We understand instinctively 
that they are important to the human experience, and they're things that we all want to experience. They're things that we all need to experience. And so this morning we're going to be talking about peace as we continue into the second week. And again, peace is one of those words that depending on the context you're using it, depending on how you understand the word itself, it may mean different things to different people. For example, by way of illustration, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. You all ready? I want you to, in a minute here, I want you to close your eyes. Now, I want you, if you're here in this room, close your eyes. If you're watching at home, go ahead and close your eyes. If you're listening to this on a podcast during the week and you're driving down the road, you might not be able to participate in this. But, but if you're here this morning, I want to ask you for just a moment, just close your eyes. Close your eyes for just a moment. Take a deep breath. When I, think, when I, when I say the word peace, what comes to mind immediately? I'll say it again. Peace. What do you see in your mind's eye as you hear that word? Okay, if you see something, if you've seen an image, felt a certain feeling, go ahead and open your eyes again. Now, how many of you, how many of the, the visions that you saw in your mind's eye were about a place? Like you immediately just went to a place when you thought of the word peace. A few of you? How many of that was a, a familiar place? Maybe it was a place in your home. Maybe it was a place in your backyard, a, film, a familiar a vacation spot that you like to go to? For those of you, how many were about a, an imagined place that you've never been to? Like a vacation spot that's a bucket list for you that you've always wanted to go to that you've never gone to before? Uh, maybe it's a place that um, is just kind of a random place by a river or on a beach somewhere. Maybe heaven. Maybe some of you just got grandiose with your vision and you just imagined heaven as you thought of peace. Maybe you took peace to mean something on a larger scale. Like a world without war, a world without injustice, a world without... Con- anybody anybody large-scale? Go, okay, we got a couple of large-scale big thinkers. There we go. Awesome. How many, uh, how many weren't primarily about a place? It was just kind of about a, just a, a state of being, just how you felt in the moment. Any of you? Yeah? A lot of those. Maybe it was about a difficult decision or a conflict that's weighty right now, and you just kind of imagine that melting away or that kind of solving, that being solved. How many of you had people around you in your, in your vision, when you thought of peace, like your favorite people around you? How many of you had no people at all? It was just you by yourself. We've identified the extroverts and the introverts in this room effectively, right? I mean, the, the point is there's a myriad of different ways that when you hear the word peace immediately jumps to mind as far as what that actually means. Now, those are just examples, but what I want to deal with today is what exactly is peace that we're looking at during the Advent season? In other words, what is biblical peace, and what does that look like? Well, as we turn to the Bible, one thing we realize is that there are two words primarily that are used in the Bible that are translated into our English word peace. In the Old Testament, it's a Hebrew word, obviously, and the word is shalom. You may have heard the word shalom before. It's used in a lot of contexts. It's a very important word in the Hebrew language. It's a very important word in the Old Testament. The New Testament word is the word Irene. If you know anybody named Irene, that's where Irene, the name Irene comes from. It means peace in the New Testament. It's a Greek word. And those words are used all over the Bible in a way that communicates a really rich meaning of this understanding of biblical peace. In fact, the most basic word or the most basic definition for the word shalom means whole or complete. Now, the idea of shalom takes into, effect, or takes into account that our lives are really complex. 
And they're made up of a bunch of different moving parts or a bunch of different things that we all experience as a bigger complex experience of, of living life. And when one of those things, whatever they may be, gets out of whack, it threatens to break shalom because shalom is whole or completeness. It is what life is supposed to look like when it's all brought together. So for example, if you experience financial troubles, which I know many have this year, you may realize that their financial troubles often affect maybe a relationship in your life. So financial troubles can threaten a marriage, can have strain on a marriage, it can have strain in family relationships, it can have strain in business relationships. And then those relationships and that financial struggle can lead to a breaking of peace in terms of a peace of mind. And so one event has led now to three levels of the brokenness of shalom, so that you're in a place where uh, your finances are broken, that this life aspect of provision is broken, that relational peace is broken in terms of good relationships being strained and broken, and then this sense of well-being, which is another aspect of peace, being threatened as well. Tim Keller, author and pastor, describes shalom like a fabric that's been woven together with different threads. He says this, Woven cloth consists of innumerable threads interlaced with one another. And the fabric metaphor conveys the importance of relationship. If you throw thousands of pieces of thread onto a table, no fabric results. The threads must be rightly and intimately related to one another in, in literally a million ways. And God created all things to be in a beautiful, harmonious, interdependent, knitted, webbed relationship to one another. And just as rightly related physical elements form a cosmos or a tapestry, so rightly related human beings form a community. This interwovenness is what the Bible calls shalom or harmonious peace. You know, I was watching, um, of all things, this hit me this past week when I was watching the movie Christmas Vacation. You've all seen Christmas Vacation, right? Uh, there's a scene in that movie where Clark Griswold on Christmas Eve has got all his family together and he's trying to provide... Of course, the character is played by Chevy Chase. He's trying to get everybody together in his house to have this perfect Christmas. He's got his family, he's got his in-laws, everybody's there. And as soon as they all get together, everything just starts falling apart. They have the dinner, the turkey's overcooked. His Christmas tree literally burns down in his family room. The cat gets electrocuted, right? That whole scene that happens there. Um, all these things begin to go wrong. He's literally putting out fires inside of his house because everything just continues to unravel. And he gets to a place at the end where he's expecting his Christmas bonus and he learns that his Christmas bonus is not coming to him in the way that he thought. And that's the thing that pushes him over the top. And the whole thing just begins to unravel. You see how that affects his relationship and his patience with his family. And then the whole event just kind of takes this crazy turn because everything is just completely unraveled. When I think about shalom, we often talk about how things can quickly unravel in our lives, and I think this is exactly what this picture of shalom is, that everything is supposed to be intertwined and connected together. That's the shalom piece. And shalom and Irene in the New Testament show up over 400 times throughout Scripture, really in all kinds of contexts. So sometimes it means peace from war, sometimes it means peace in relationships after conflict, sometimes it has to do with peace of mind to be at peace in general. Sometimes it has to do with the peaceful and sense of, in the sense of calmness. Uh, in a few places, it actually refers to a complete set of animals, like a complete herd, a shalom of animals, or the completeness of a building, a shalom in terms of a building being complete and whole. 
And of course, in many cases, this refers to, shalom refers to wholeness and completeness of creation. That all aspects of creation are being made whole and intertwined together the way that God intended them to be. In a way that's God-honoring, God-pleasing, and God-reflecting. Now, one of the great promises of Advent is that we have this promise of peace that is given to us by God. That this shalom peace is meant to be all-encompassing. Now, I think of all the times that we get to talk about the blessing of peace, this year has been a year that is particularly important. In some ways, I feel really strange talking about peace in the middle of what we're going through this year, but in other ways, I'm realizing that this is probably one of the most important discussions that we can have right now. What does it look like for God to want us to have peace, and what does this gift of peace look like in our lives, especially in a time when it's so hard to look into the world and find peace in anywhere, in any place that you look? I mean, if you think about it, we've seen the health of the entire world come under the cloud of a global pandemic. Livelihoods have been taken away by crashing economies. People have been fearful and anxious, which disrupts their peace of mind, of course. People have fought constantly over the best way to respond to the pandemic. So conflict has arisen between family members, between friends, between church members, between people and their schools and people and their governments. And all of this has forced us back into our homes, which would ideally be that place of peace and refuge. But for many people, the home is not a a place of peace and refuge. In fact, they've found it to be a very difficult place to be with domestic abuse and substance abuse on the rise. We don't even get peace and quiet at our homes anymore because our kids are there all day online, right? (laughs) And we're having to struggle with this, like, adjusting to a schedule and new schedules, working at home, making sure that our kids are taken care of as they're online while we're trying to juggle work. There's no peace in our schedules. And we're constantly reminded, even when you leave the home, that things are not at peace. Just going simply to the grocery store, you're reminded that things are not at peace. You see masks and ordinance and rules that you have to follow to make sure that you do everything you're supposed to to keep everybody safe. And then we have increasing numbers of cases of COVID and deaths that continue to be on the rise. I mean, there is no place that we can look and find peace, it seems. And then you add to that a contentious political year with contested elections and social unrest, increasing examples of violence and injustice in the streets of American cities. And it's like, where are we going to find peace anywhere in this place? And it all seems to be unraveling. And now we're in the middle of the holiday season, a time when many people take a breath and spend time with loved ones and families, and some people can't even do that this year. It can be hard to remember that God has promised peace during Advent because if you spend a day in our current world, it doesn't look like you can find it or see it anywhere. But I think one thing that I've come to the conclusion in in, in all of this and struggling through it is realizing that in some ways there is a blessing in the midst of this, that when, God, when that's been all stripped away, what we realize is that the peace of God really does matter in the midst of this. That we can't really find it, although we can't find it in our world, although we don't see it in our world, that God still promises peace. Remember that, when, remember that time when Jesus is gathered with his disciples on the last night while they're together in the upper room? And he's told them, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to leave you here after I'm gone. And you can imagine that in that moment, these young disciples might might have felt like their entire world was unraveling. 
And Jesus understands what they're going through. He understands their anxiety. And he says to them this in John chapter 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And in that moment of discouragement and anxiety, the one thing and chaos, the one thing that Jesus wants to remind the disciples of is what he is giving them is peace. And he says, I don't give to you like the world gives to you. In other words, you're not going to find this peace in the world. He doesn't say to them, I'm sending you on a journey to find peace. They're not going to find this peace somewhere under a rock or through a spiritual journey or through their own discovery. Instead, Jesus says, this peace comes from me. I give it to you as a gift. It's to be received through faith. And I think this is profoundly important for us to realize right now. The constant conversations that are going on all the time right now regarding COVID and the place, and the place that we find ourselves in right now is what? When are we going to get back to normal? We're all asking that question. When are we going to get to that place where we don't have to wear masks out in public anymore? When are we going to get to the place where cases are down and people are no longer dying every single day from this virus? When are we going to get to a place where schools can open up again like we want them to and our kids can go back to a normal school day? When are we going to get back to a time where we can gather with family and friends without worrying how many people are there and who might get sick as a result? When are we going to get to a place where we're going to just be able to have like full movie theaters and restaurants again? Oh, I can't wait for that. You know, the biggest thing I can't wait for, when are sporting events going to open up again? So you can actually go watch a sporting event. And we've been talking about that all the time as a church. When are we going to get to a place where this room is filled like it's been in the past? And when are we going to get to see all the people that we've missed so dearly throughout these last several months? So many things we just want to be normal again. In fact, I almost wish we could just say, like, if everybody could just say, all I want for Christmas is for COVID to be gone and we could just get on the same page and it would just poof, be gone? How wonderful would that be? I think we'd all be willing to do that, right? I think I gave my son on board. He really wants an iPad, but I still think I could get him on board with something like that. How amazing. But one thing we realize is that it doesn't go away that easy. And as much as we just want to be done with 2020, there's not going to be any kind of like magic wand, I don't think, that's going to come and just get rid of all our issues on January 1st, 2021. And so the question becomes, what does it look like for this normalcy? And I think when we're asking for normalcy, what we are asking for in our own way is peace. And I think this year has made it more obvious than maybe any other time of our desperation for God's peace to be given to us. Because we won't find it in the world. We never were meant to find shalom in the world around us after the brokenness of creation. We were meant to find it from God through Jesus. So if we're to believe Jesus, and I think we should in this case, that the peace that he gives is essential and it can only be received as a gift from him. He says, my peace I give to you. All other religious systems, all other belief systems say you have to go find your peace. You have to go on a journey to discover what peace is. And if you do it right, you might arrive at a place where you can find peace. But Jesus says, I give you my peace. Anybody use, uh, you guys use Kindle? You guys use Amazon Kindle? Like not the device, but actually the app. You do a lot of like ebook reading. I do that a lot. And one of the features that I love about the Amazon Kindle ebooks is that you can just highlight with your finger 
Now, you don't have to pull out a bulky highlighter. I like to highlight a lot of things as I'm reading, especially when I'm studying. And so I love that feature of being able to just highlight. Do you know that every time you highlight, Amazon actually, that highlight actually goes up and uploads somewhere, and Amazon keeps records of all the things that you highlight in their books? Do you realize that? I don't know where it goes, like uploads to a cloud or Jeff Bezos' brain or something. It goes somewhere, right? And they make note of the fact that you've highlighted this thing. And so you can actually look at their... Um, at their stats, and you can realize uh, what people have highlighted in each book. And of course, one of those books is the Bible. And so what Amazon has done is they've actually tracked the most highlighted, verse, the most highlighted verses in the Bible. Now, I want you to guess, what do you think is the most highlighted verse in the Bible according to these Amazon Bibles that, that people have been highlighting? Any guesses out there? What verse do you think might be the most highlighted verse right now? John 3.16 is a pretty good guess. <laughs> Man, you're never going to get it by old A.T. Holder. He is a scholar. Yes, but which verse, A.T.? Come on. Which one? Oh, you're right. How about Philippians 4, 6, and 7? Anybody know that offhand? There it is on the screen before you got a chance to even... But it says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Look at that. People are starving for peace right now. The fact that that's the most highlighted verse in the Bible right now, according to Amazon and their platform. Look at that. And how is it then that the peace of God guards our hearts and minds according to Philippians 4? What is this peace and what does it look like? Well, let's talk a few minutes about that with the time that we have left. Look, let's begin with why we can't find true peace around us in this world. Why can't we just seek it out in this world around us? Why is it that God has to give us peace as a gift? Well, you may know this, but the Bible tells us that human beings once had peace. We had shalom. We had a perfect relationship with God. We had a perfect relationship with one another as human beings. We had a perfect relationship and a perfect creation all around us. Everything was whole in the way that it was supposed to be. But in the midst of that, of course, human beings rebelled, and that sin broke every aspect of shalom so that it broke our relationship with God, it broke our relationships with one another, and it broke the creation that God had created. So that now sin has its tentacles in every aspect of creation in every relationship, sometimes in very significant ways, sometimes in ways that are a little bit more minor. But in every way, everything we experience, even the best relationships, the best experiences, are twinged with a bit of this brokenness. Have you ever been sitting on your patio on a nice spring afternoon, enjoying the weather, maybe with your family? There's a nice breeze in the air. Maybe it's early March. Early March afternoons here in Arizona tend to be really beautiful, or early evening, I should say, in, in early March. And your family, you're sitting around, and maybe you're having dinner with your family. You're enjoying a meal of just perfectly smoked chicken wings that you've pulled off your Traeger. The smell of orange blossoms in the air. You're having a great conversation, and just when you think things couldn't get any better, a mosquito bites your leg. And that bite gets so big and so itchy that it's all you can think about is that stupid mosquito bite. 
It takes your mind and it takes everything else, your focus away from what is happening right in front of you. And a perfect moment gets twinged by a small thing. And that, in many ways, is representative of the curse of sin. It's the brokenness of shalom. I know that seems oddly specific. It's almost like I've experienced that very thing before. But in the face of broken shalom that we face in our world, here's how Jesus brings peace to the world. First of all, Jesus is the peacemaker. In every, peace where there, in every place where there is not peace, in every place where there is peace that is lacking, in all areas of God's creation, Jesus came to bring peace, to give shalom, to make broken things whole again. And one of the ways that we see in Scripture uh, that, that peace has its effect is through this word reconciliation. That broken things or things that have been separated have been brought back together. And the Bible talks about that being reconciled or being brought back together in reconciliation. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 through 23 says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, have become a minister." Now notice this peacemaking of Jesus, this reconciliation that Paul talks about there in Colossians 1 extends to all things, every piece of creation in heaven and on earth. And at the center of it is the relationship between humanity and God being reconciled. Which brings us to our next point. Jesus makes peace between us and God. Look, our primary need as great as all these other aspects of shalom and peace are in the world, our primary need as human beings is to be reconciled to God. Is that that relationship would be made whole again. Because before anything broke, before anything was broken in our world, what broke first was our relationship with our Creator because of our sin. And this is exactly what Jesus does in bringing us peace, bringing us back together with God, restoring that relationship. Romans chapter 5. Verse 8 says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more so will we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if we were, if we were, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Again, right there at the end, reconcile shows up three times in that passage, but right there at the end, which is really important to realize, is that we have received reconciliation. This reconciliation, this peace of God, this peace that Jesus gives us, is a gift to be received. And I think this is important to think about because he has made peace for us so that we don't have to go searching for what it means to make peace with God. I think this is so encouraging and freeing. I think at some level, all of us think to ourselves what it looks like to make peace with God. We even talk about what it means to make peace with God from time to time. What it means to search for peace with God. And I think what we see here is this realization that we don't have to make peace with God because peace with God has already been made for us through Jesus Christ. 
And it's a gift then, this reconciliation, this peace that we receive because of what he's done. And so as a result of this, Jesus' people are called to be peacemakers. No, peace is not just something that we receive. Peace is supposed to transform our lives when we've really received it. I think it makes sense when we call Jesus the ultimate peacemaker that those who are Jesus' people should live in a way that we are classified as peacemakers. In fact, Jesus actually points out that one of the markers of somebody who is truly following him is somebody who is truly characterized as being a peacemaker. We saw this back in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. It says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We are made into peacemakers because Jesus had made peace for us on our behalf. And it makes sense that those then that are truly children of God would be peacemakers just like our Lord is a peacemaker, that we are about the family business of being peacemakers. And so what does that look like primarily? Well, it primarily looks like making peace in our relationships. It looks like being at peace together within the church as well as being at peace out into the world as well, being peacemakers out into the world as well. In fact, this is such a big deal that in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that this is, a, this is a manner worthy of our calling to which we have been called, to be peacemakers. It says this in, in, in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the bond of unity, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now notice again in verse 3 that we're told to be eager to maintain unity in the church by the bond of peace. In other words, what this is telling us is that the Holy Spirit, He is the one who has built unity into the church. He is the one that He's built these bonds of peace, and it's our role as peacemakers within the church to do everything we can to be eager to maintain those bonds of unity. Because there are things that have not been created by us, they've been created by the Spirit. And so anytime we're working in disunity, anytime we are eroding away at that unity in the church, we're actually working against the Holy Spirit's work and grieving the Spirit as He works through the church. And so we're told to be eager to maintain the unity of the church by doing what? Maintaining this bond of peace. By being peacemakers with eagerness. And in verse 2, Paul tells us what this looks like. Being humble and gentle. Having patience with one another. Getting to a place where he says, bearing with one another in love, which I think is a key part of this. That phrase communicates we, we are anxious to bear one another's burdens according to the bonds of peace with one another in the church, in our relationships. Now when I think about that bond of peace and burdens, I think about it kind of this way. If you can imagine this, if I had a rope in my hand and there was somebody else on the other end of that rope and we're holding this rope together, that might represent our relationship or this bond of peace that we're talking about. Now in every relationship, of course, there's two people involved, but at the same time, many times when things get burdensome, as, as Paul talks about here, bearing one another's burdens, when things get burdensome, weight gets put on that relationship. So if there's difficulty in one person's life, difficulty in another person's life, if there's hurt, if there are times where, um, if there are times where there are disagreements, whatever those things may be, they sometimes get added to this rope, and they cause that relationship to be burdensome. 
And so as we're holding on to this rope, each one of us feel the weight of that burden. And if it gets heavy enough, if enough things get placed onto that relationship that are burdensome and that wear it down, it may get to a point where you really feel like the tension of that. You feel the weight of it in your arms. You feel maybe your forearms start burning. And your first reaction is probably to want to let that thing go and to walk away. And in fact, that's what a lot of people do. In our world today, there's a lot of people who look at relationships in terms of how those relationships just benefit me. And if they get too heavy, if they get too weighty, the best thing for me to do is just to drop that relationship and move on. The problem is we can't do that in the church. Because that rope was not a rope that was designed by you or me and was not a rope that, was, that we grabbed off the ground or in some ways created. It was a rope that was placed into our hand by the Holy Spirit. That bond of peace that's created between each believer is a rope and a bond that was created and that is maintained by the Holy Spirit. And so it's not something that we can actually just drop and walk away from because we are bound to believers in that way. And so even if someone has failed and maybe they've failed me or hurt me in some way, my response is not to write them off. It's not to condemn them. It's not to enact some kind of vengeance against them. It is to carry that burden with them. That's a part of our relationship. That's a part of the burden that we carry together. In other words, whatever I, that has been done to cause weight to that relationship, I am so eager to maintain that bond of peace and unity that I'm willing to bear that burden in love with them. And not even necessarily for my sake, but for the sake of Jesus and his church. Because it pleases him when we are in unity. And the problem is, when enough of those ropes get dropped, it begins to cause disunity everywhere among the church. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 says this, speaking of disunity. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That phrase that starts out verse 29 there is really interesting. Let no corrupting talk Come out of your mouth. That's actually a command. It's in the imperative form, which means it's a command for us that's given here by Paul in Ephesians 4. And so the question we might ask is, what is corrupting talk? What exactly does that mean? Well, that word corrupting can often be translated also with the word rotten. So the word corrupting is something that rots something else, right? It's, it's a, it has a corrupting, rotting influence on something. Now, Given the context that we just looked at, the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, with this picture of these bonds of peace, I think it put two and two together, we realize what Paul's talking about here is this corrupting talk corrupts the bonds of peace, rots out the bonds of peace within the church. And then he goes on to say that the bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, all of these things are what that speech, that corrupting talk looks like. Now, these words are interesting. We might be familiar with things like wrath and anger and bitterness, but clamor is a really interesting word as well. That word clamor means outcry. It can mean quarreling. It can mean widespread division, the kind of thing that blows things out of proportion and creates scandal within a group of people. That's clamoring. And then when you join slander with gossip and malice, what you see is that it's a speaking 
with the intent to hurt someone or someone's reputation. And all of these things are rotten, corrupted speech, and especially when they're in the church because they grieve the work of the Holy Spirit to bond us together in unity. They are not peacemaking, they are peace-breaking, and they break shalom. And with all the unrest that this year has brought with it, one of the things that it's brought with it is a spotlight, really, on the bonds of peace within the church. In a lot of cases, <laughs> if we're being honest, it hasn't been the prettiest picture. Instead of the church of Jesus being full of a bunch of peacemakers who represent the ultimate peacemaker, eager to maintain the bonds of peace, in many cases it seems like we've gone the opposite way, looking for things to be offended about, looking for things to be divided about almost. Masks or no masks, right or left politics. Is COVID real or is it not as bad as it seems? Was the election fair or not? Is there systemic racism in our country or not? And if, if so, who's to blame? In a disagreement, it doesn't matter how principled you think your point is. It doesn't matter if you think you're speaking truth to someone or speaking truth against error. The way in which you approach that has to do with the effect that it has on the church. That corrupting speech, no matter what it looks like, erodes the bonds of peace. If it's not kind, if it's not tenderhearted, if it does not come from love, then it is wrong, no matter how much the point may be true. We often think that the threat of corruption to the church is coming from someplace out in the world. That there's too much corruption of the world, too much corruption of culture in the church. And so we want to protect against that. And I think there's wisdom in that. But I think at times what this causes us to do is really forget a bigger and more deadly problem that corruption is already in the church because corruption comes from our own sin. It seems that instead of the world, instead of the church making a, an impact in the world around us for peace, too many times we've brought the contentious nature of the world around us into the church and assume that we can just deal with disagreements the same way that everybody else in the world is dealing with it. And what we've done by default is bring the world into the church in the way that we deal with one another. We have a world that is in chaos all around us and they are looking for, they are starving for peace. The church claims to be the body of the Prince of Peace. And we are fighting about all the same things that the world fights about. And they are looking at us and they are saying, what difference does Jesus make again? And meanwhile, Jesus says, the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And church, if we can't get this peace right, we will lose our mission. If we grieve the Spirit, if we work against His work in the church to bring us together in unity, to maintain those bonds of peace, we quench the Spirit, we grieve the Spirit. And a church without the Spirit moving in it is a powerless, dead church. Instead, wouldn't it be great if the world could look at the church and say, the way those people love one another is different? They may not agree on everything, but the way they are so kind and gracious to one another, the way that they show peace to one another looks different. And it's unlike any of the other ways that we see around us. Where there is chaos, we're called to be peacemakers. And here's the thing about being a peacemaker. It doesn't happen on accident. Especially if you tend to be a person who's a passionate person, who's a principled person, who has very strong opinions. 
That's me. I'm totally like that if you can't tell. So I know how hard this is to be a peacemaker. I'm not naturally a peacemaker. I have to work sometimes against every fiber in my being to be a peacemaker. And by the grace of God, sometimes I get it right. But this isn't something that just passively happens within the church. We have to actively decide that we are going to be peacemakers, especially in a time of chaos that's all around us. And look, church, we know the Prince of Peace. We know him personally, and we've been called his body here on earth. We have been given peace so that we can herald peace out into the world. And as the church, instead of pointing the finger at the world, we are called to point the world to Jesus. And being peacemakers in our world is one powerful way to point to the ultimate peacemaker who is Jesus. Now this morning we're going to respond by coming to the communion table together. We could call this table actually the table of peace. I think that's appropriate to think of it that way. Because one of the things that we're talking about remembering, we're remembering the greatest peace of all to the reconciliation story that through the cross, through the blood of Jesus, and through the body of Jesus broken on the cross, we've been reconciled to God, and we have been reconciled to one another. And so when we come to this table, we come to this table through these elements. And these elements remind us of what gives us access to this table. It's the most important table you'll ever sit at. It's the table where, as you look around, you see those who are together with you reconciled as your eternal family. And just like your natural family, you don't get to pick your eternal family. They're just the people that you are with, and you're going to be with them for eternity. But they're the people, just like your natural family, that you are bonded to. And in this case, you're bonded to for eternity. And so, when you sit at the table, it doesn't matter what your politics are. It doesn't matter whether you have different perspectives and different personalities. It doesn't matter whether the person across from the table looks like you or not, is from the same country as you, or speaks the same language. They are your eternal family. And everyone who sits around this table together is joined by one faith, one Lord, one Spirit, and they become one family. So you can't sit at the table without being together with everyone else around it. You are bonded in reconciliation, reconciliation with God and one another. This is the table that represents shalom peace. So if you have your elements with you, go ahead and take them out. I want to give you a moment. to open the kits. We're going to take these great symbols of peace. And I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 26. And if you follow along with me, we come to that table together. And it says this, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this 
is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Father, we are thankful this morning that you have given us peace. Lord, I'm personally thankful that it's a gift, that it's not something that we have to earn, it's not something we have to seek after after a life life journey or do a walkabout so we can find it. It's not something that's hidden from us, but Father, you've made it in plain view. And you've told us over and over again that this is the gift of peace that you need. So I pray for all of us this morning as we are dealing with symptoms of restlessness and symptoms of doubt and symptoms of chaos in our lives where we don't feel peace at all. That you would remind us that you have given us the greatest gift. That this gift of peace that reconciles us with you, that reconciles us with one another, is what we're ultimately looking for. And Jesus, as you told us, we won't find it in this world because you don't give as the world gives. You give your peace. But as your word tells us, you are our peace. You've been made our peace on the cross. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come to us so that we might be able to receive this. And I pray for those of us who are in need of this peace, in particular being reconciled with God, that we would reach out by faith and trust the words that you have told us, Lord Jesus. That when you say you bring peace, you really do. And may your peace reign in our hearts. May it reign in this church. And may it reign in this world as we go out following the ultimate peacemaker as peacemakers into the world. We pray for unity within this church, Lord, that you would continue to bind us together in the bounds of peace. Spirit, would you do your work in this place, revealing and calling us forward in those places where disunity is apparent so that we can be restored and reconciled to one another for the glory of Jesus. That we would truly look like the one who has made peace through his cross in the way that we treat one another. We pray these things in his name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. I want to remind you that if you still want to put some uh, tokens of remembrance, if you brought those here with you this morning, you can lay them at the tree uh, at some point during the services, between services or after services this morning. Um, you can just walk up there and lay them up there. Uh, we're not going to take time during the service necessarily to do that. Notice we've added a Pooh Bear at least, which is really cool. I don't know who did that, but that's awesome. I like that a lot. Um, we've added some other elements there as well. So if you have one of those tokens of remembrance, you brought it with you, you can put it under the tree after the service. Secondly, if 
You need prayer. We uh, are, are, are excited about the opportunity every week to pray for you. We consider it a privilege. And so we have prayer cards that are located on that table right there with all the little trees. You can go back there, grab one of those prayer cards. If you need prayer for yourself, for a family member, a friend, whatever it may be, a neighbor, write that prayer request down. Drop it in one of the offering stands as you leave here this morning. We pray over those as a staff, as a prayer team each week. And we consider it a privilege to join with you in prayer. So hope you all have a great week. The Prince of Peace is who we celebrate during this season, and so may peace reign in your hearts as you leave this place and throughout the week. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.